This is B of C Live, the video and podcast series of Business of Cannabis. Find out all that we do at businessofcannabis.com. Coming up, a conversation recorded in New York City with Tahira Rematula. She is the president of T3 Ventures, a partner at Big Ten Ventures, and a board of directors of Akerna Corp. She's previously held positions at Hyper Ventures, MTech Acquisition Corp., Marley Natural, Privateer Holdings, and many, many more. She's an investor and advisor to numerous cannabis businesses and entrepreneurs, including the advisory board of The Initiative and The Last Prisoner Project. She is an MBA from the Yale School of Management and a BS in finance from The Ohio State University. She lives in New York City. We wanted to connect with her about what was happening in New York, what it meant for the larger industry, and generally the state of the cannabis industry. This is Tahira Rematula. Thank you for being here. Always. Always good to see you. Always good to see you. And I saw you in September here. Yes. I don't think I saw you. Did I see you in Las Vegas? Probably not. It was a blur. (laughs) Came up in the last conversation (laughs) how blurry it was. Oh, someone was just saying that they don't mind flying out of Las Vegas with cannabis, which I think is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I... Not a great, not a bad idea, but also not a great idea. Not a great, probably not a great one, yeah. but... And I'm flying to Toronto. That's a very bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, Be careful. <laughs> seriously. Um, I want to talk about a bunch of different things. Um, you were just saying you were in Ohio. We can talk about that. Sure. I want to talk about Superette. You're on the board of Superette, which is near and dear to my heart because... That's where I buy my cannabis mostly uh, in Toronto. And then let's talk about New York. We'll talk about the market here. We'll talk great. about sort of all those things. That sound good? That's great. Should we talk about Ohio first? Let's talk about Ohio, the great state of Ohio. And where... there's licenses being reviewed now? There was... Well, no, so the, it's a medical market. Yep. Um, and I was asked to come in and, and testify and have a, a bill that's in the works right now that will modify elements of the medical market for the better. It's a bit. It's fragmented on the regulatory side, and it's helpful to roll it into a single entity. And we're seeing this in so many places. You know, lots of obviously across the country, but in other regions as well, where there are too many governing bodies, and it's confusing, and sometimes at odds with each other. So there were very good elements of this bill, uh, but one area that was probably a little bit concerning is just the ability for what are called level two cultivators to be able to expand their canopy pretty significantly and not in relation to supply and demand dynamics, but just because. Um, And so on one side, you have the argument that the market doesn't have enough supply, which is why prices are so high for patients and uh, agree that prices do need to come down because it is a medical market. And and it's hard for people to be able to afford that as medicine on a daily basis. On the other side of it, Cultivators really aren't the one controlling the pricing as much as is perceived. It's retail. Mm-hmm. And if retail is marking it up 200%, there's actually not much that wholesalers can do about that, right? And so there's that disconnect there. Um, and so it really was just come in and, you know, ramble about. Give some perspective. <laughs> you say ramble. Give some perspective from other places. Yeah. Right? And, I, you know, one of the pieces that is just interesting now, and I, I've never had the opportunity to do this before, so it was new for me. And very nerve-wracking. Uh, what's interesting is that despite the fact that we're seeing more and more legalization across the country, across the world, the fact that now that there's precedent, whereas we didn't have that you know, when I started in the industry right. and, and for many years, people are still to some degree not paying attention or thinking that 
their state or their so region or a country is so different. And it's like, no, you're actually just look at what's happened. And because it's a medical market, it's as if what happens in adult use markets doesn't apply, but it still matters. So looking at what's oversupply has done to a state like California, like Oregon, even Canada. even Canada. Um, and that was actually one of the things I brought up is just that this is not only a US state issue, it's happened other places. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be this, there's this uncomfortable su supply and demand period that takes a while to get figured out, and then it does. And it's better to be in a position where you're a little bit more restricted than having a glut in the market that then also leads to bad activity, you know, right. feeding into the illicit yeah, market. Um, so that was what I got to chat about. And then the bill passed anyways, and apparently was already <laughs> going to pass. So now it goes on to the House, and then, you know, as uh, we'll see what happens from there. But um, fun to, I'm from Ohio, so it has a very near and dear place in my heart, although it was freezing yesterday. So it's December. It wasn't as, it is Columbus. December. Fine, fine. <laughs> Although it's beautiful fun. here in New yeah, exactly. York City today. And, and I actually want to dive a little bit into that because uh, we're in New York, obviously, today. And are there, there are advantages, I think, to states that are coming online now, either with bigger medical programs or recreational, that they can learn from states that came before them or jurisdictions that came before them. And that's... That would be good if they're moving faster. But one of the things that we also know from those jurisdictions is that you can you can move as slowly as you want, but that doesn't like drive down the legacy. Like like the legacy market just gets more entrenched the longer you wait. Yeah. The longer you do it. Yeah. I mean, with with New York in particular, the ability for legacy to be that much more professionalized and entrenched in the market is now like ten x in my opinion. Yeah. If we're not going to see dispensaries open until 2023. And I mean, I am the eternal pessimist on some of these things where we'll say, okay, if, if applications come out sometime in 22, and then just, we know what the lags are right. like. And so 2023 is optimistic. Where in 23 is always the right. open question. Um, but you're allowing for those businesses to become much more valid and, and lifelines. And I'm not opposed to that either because they're waiting. A lot of them are waiting patiently and they want to go into the legal market, but they can't sit on their right. hands for three years right. waiting for Or not even three years. If you said it's going to be three years, that's one thing. Yeah. If you say it's going to be sometime, sometime, yeah. that's a different. And they're paying attention. I will say legacy markets are, are the ones paying attention to other markets. They're right. seeing, you know, I was having conversations with a group that runs a delivery service here and they are changing all their packaging. They're designing things. They were spent some time in different markets in California in particular and looking at everything that's happening there on the retail side. And they're like, we can do better than this. We can do better than what we are doing right now. And they're doing that. And they're creating their own software. They're creating their own systems. And people are fine with it, right? It's like you're, you're also starting to trust it a bit more. I mean, I will say that the the consistent divide between legacy and legal is the ability to have tested safe mm -hmm. product, which you cannot verify that obviously with the illegal market. Uh, but they're also professionalizing on that side too. They're going through their own structures and SOPs in order to be to be sure that it's safe because they do want to translate into the right. legal market. And so their brand, they're brand building now. Whereas, yes, we'll have other brands that will come from other markets and multi-state operators and they'll be known, but these are the brands that are going to be more entrenched for consumers when you're an adult use market. So yeah. 
Now I'm like, which side should I be on right now? <laughs> well, Where's, where should we play? Right. And, and it is this, it's this transition period, whether yeah. it's pre-operational pre legal market or just post-operational legal market, there is this transition period. And I think that is the, that's the, that's the challenge for regulators and elected officials is that there's going to be this transition. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for an elected official to wrap their heads around. Because it's not perfect. No. And you could come up with what you think is, as a regulator or an elected official is the perfect legislation or perfect regulation. But what's perfect to you and what you're considering is like gaping holes for like the legacy market to like thrive. Yeah. Really? And like if the price is too high, then it thrives. If there's too much regulations to like get into the market that, you know, it's just, it's really a push and pull. And it's really hard to get right, especially if you think of like what elected officials or regulators are thinking about. Like well, you, were, you were in Ohio. Like... They're nervous about this, right? Yeah. And it was interesting because one of the senators commented, uh, who was sitting on this committee, that he believes in a free market. And in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, well, I do too, but there are different ways to get there. And there are different ways. This this market, as we know, is so challenging. There's so many spaces that we, we still don't fully know because even the markets that have been um, in market for years still have are working out some of their own kinks. And, you know, we look at Washington and Colorado and what's the changes that have happened there. And then you see what's happening in California, which is arguably one of the oldest markets in a lot of different forms mm -hmm. um, and, and just the transitions that it's had to go to. And, you know, the way that taxes play into all of this, the way that regulation, regulatory bodies are still disconnected from business in the way that right. business actually operates and how these things come into balance. And, there was an argument made too that it's like we believe that there should be less regulation and it's like well totally i think in some areas you can't be so handcuffed but this is a medical market and you need to be able to ensure that everybody is getting their medicine but also that businesses can be viable right and i think that's the challenge we've seen with california it's like businesses are struggling to stay above water and then have to sell their product or do whatever they need to do to to make ends meet and so how do you balance that that's the the patient the consumer needs and then the business needs and i do think there's a balance that comes in but it doesn't happen overnight and it certainly doesn't happen if you're just like grow whatever you want right. like that'll push the prices into balance and then there'll be carnage and then it'll be fine um, yeah, it doesn't happen like that yeah so it's interesting to to watch this play out and it was my first time being in the room even though decisions were already made before I got in there, but it's like, that's the oh, first that's lesson. politics too, yeah. Well, did you, I mean, I guess go back, like you grew up in Ohio? I did, yeah. Did you think when you were growing up in Ohio that someday you'd be speaking in front of a state senate? And never, cannabis? never. Or about anything. Well, about anything, anything right. but especially about cannabis. And it's funny because that was, even though I, I went to Ohio State, which is in Columbus, I'd never been in the state house. And so I walked in and I was a total tourist. I was like, this is gorgeous. So like, cool. I didn't even know this was here. And <laughs> the other people that I was meeting there, they're like, oh, you've never been here? Like, aren't you from Columbus? Yeah, That's why you, you're here. You're from you, Columbus. Did you go to Ohio State? Yeah. I was like, yeah, but I had, I was finance and pre-med. I had nothing to do with political science. I just wasn't never interested in that area. Um, but it was, it was a beautiful building. Can we go back to what you just said, finance and pre-med? Yes. Unusual combination, though. It was... It was thoughtful at the time. Clearly, I did yeah. not become the doctor <laughs> that right. my parents would have hoped I would have. Um, Neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> so many of us didn't become right. the doctor that our parents wanted us to be. Um, yeah, I decided. So I went in with the intent for pre-med and then realized quickly my freshman year that I 
did not really have an interest in either like chemistry or biology as a standalone major, which is generally what people yeah. will do as, as pre-med because that's more of the designation. And that if I didn't become a doctor, then that the major would be useless. So what could I do that would be able to translate into something else? And, and so I picked a, a business major and then also started, uh, did an internship uh, early in college that was at the Ohio State Medical Center, but in on the administrative side, which I found fascinating. And it was kind of like the business of medicine mm-hmm. and was just really intrigued by how all of that works and the, the mess that it also is and, and the combination of that. And then as it went on, and I did finish my entire pre-med, I actually took the MCAT. Oh, wow. Did all the things. Um, uh, but also, you know, did those side by side and just realized that I was more on the business side and I cared about the healthcare element of it, but more as how do we create systems and access and opportunity versus being the doctor. And then I also realized like I did, uh, so my, my dad is a physician, he's an orthopedic surgeon and I think it was my senior year of high school was the first time I shadowed him and I was like, I cannot be a surgeon. <laughs> I, I definitely almost passed out the first time I saw, uh, I think the first, it was a knee replacement and then a hip replacement and then carpal tunnel, which was very wow. easy. But he did those three in a row and I was just standing there for all of them and I was like, I don't think that this is for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like thinking about it. <laughs> Fascinating though. Yeah. I mean, it was cool to see him in action and, and understand all of that, like looking right at it, but... Then I thought, well, maybe I'll do something else. Maybe. Weed and finance is good. Yeah. How about weed and finance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are, weed and finance. Yeah. Well, it's, it's exciting. It's not as bloody. Uh, not as bloody, not literally, it's true. Uh, figuratively, maybe. Um, it's still helping the p- people who yes. uh, are suffering in yeah. a lot of different ways. Yeah. Especially even some of the people that your dad used to operate on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like my mother-in-law. I want to talk about my mother-in-law for a second. If Let me, let's hear it. Um, so, uh, because you were on the board of Superette, which yes. is uh, where a lot of my cannabis comes from. Um, in good, that's Toronto. what we like to hear. That's <laughs> good. And, and uh, what strikes me, has always struck me, is that, uh, well, just the brand itself, how they operate. Um, I was at their store in Ottawa before, but the first store, and then sort of subsequent ones in Toronto. Uh, the brand is so strong. The... the atmosphere is so unique and maybe also the locating the locating of the stores is just brilliant and where my mother-in-law goes in Toronto uh, on Spadina near her house mm-hmm. is um, it, it, it seems like it's in a liquor store mm-hmm. like our our beautiful liquor stores in Ontario called the LCBO and in the same building is is Superette uh, like in the basement like you go upstairs downstairs to cannabis and she was just shocked. She's like, I can't believe that they are part of the LCBO. I said, no. <laughs> I mean, but that, that is like, it's brilliant. And, and it's also, then you look at their other locations and there is not one next to another LCBO in Toronto and in Ottawa. It's not mm-hmm. far. Like it's, it's super thoughtful. And that's like the approach. Everything is with intention. Yeah. And that is really, well, unique because many retailers, but here and not just in Toronto, but like everywhere, it's like scattershot approach. Let's just get licenses. Let's get operating. Let's do it. Right. But this is a much more thoughtful approach and interested in your thoughts. Like that is obviously a better, more thoughtful approach. Yeah, I've, I've always been impressed by Mimi and German and their approach. And, and thoughtful is very much the way I would describe them. Um, they, you know, a lot of effort goes into thinking about, it's not just about foot traffic or 
uh, you know, is that location available or not? Right. It's really thinking about, is it right for their brand? Is mm -hmm. it right for the community? Um, what's the intersection of that? How can you also make sure that you're introducing something new and different? And you'll, you'll see that there are differences also in the retail locations. Um, you know, I think the most recent one is Sip and Smoke, where it's just, you know, it's the, the tiny little bodega, but it, every detail is so meticulous and, you know, the supermarket vibe to it. And the it's training. Fun. Yeah, and, and the training. And their, their team is so good. And the education side of it and the demeanor, right? The, there's a code of conduct there that everybody is very much following. Um, and it's natural. It's organic. It's not like this it's a forced upon thing. But I think that they're, you know, they're taking playbooks from other industries and applying it to cannabis in a very, I think, unique and again, going back to like thoughtful way where it's not like, let's take what Starbucks did and, and put it here. You, everything has to be tailored because it's not all apples to apples. And I think that given the experience that both of them had before with, they, with Tokyo Smoke and just other consumer brands and understanding retail, uh, like non-cannabis retail as well, has really translated nicely for them. And, um, you know, they're not, they're not the scattergun people at all. And they have really observed the market and understood. And I think they, they understand who their consumer is. Um, and just looking at the way that they present themselves and the conversations they've had, I think they've just always stayed ahead of the game and very, uh, very proud of them and thrilled that I get to be part of it in a very small way. I'm like the most useless board member. I always say that to them where I'm like, I know I'm useless, but I'm here. And <laughs> I, Thanks I, for letting me wear your swag because I feel cool. Thank you. I, I feel the same way. And actually, oh, hold on. I'm going to do it on cue. Watch oh, this. what you got? I'll show you. Oh, shit, it's not that. I packed I'm, in the bag. I won't even tell you which one that was, but I, I had saw it. what it was, I know. but it's all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I generally wear the Supret toque all the time. Nice. Um, uh, and and it's, it's also... This is a side, like it pisses me off that they're so young. That's one thing, but it also is so thoughtful. And, um, and it does, and I think, I think Drummond come, he was at Herschel, like the backpack, like, and I've heard them talk about sort of their backgrounds and what they bring to it. And it is in some ways like, yes, of course, that's how consumers want to interact with the store, with the, with the, with someone working in a store, with the product itself. And it's just, it all comes together, um, very organically, yeah. but also very uniquely. And they've, they've kept it fun. Yeah. There's, they don't take themselves too seriously. There's this, they're not trying to be everything to everybody, right. but at the same time, people respond. I think a pretty wide range of demographics respond to that. Like you're saying your mother-in-law goes there, right? I'm sure they're not saying that like, oh, that's our core demographic, but some, it's somebody who, who's enjoying that experience because it's different and unique. And you know, you and I have both seen so much yeah. retail yeah. across uh, cannabis and Always, I will put Supret at the top yeah. at, for what they've been able to achieve. And, and on that front, um, which is weird, not weird, that's amazing because they're such good operators, but like people like to dump on the Canadian market, but there is that, there's that, and there's, there's other unique things happening up there. And, and do you think when it finally lands in New York, not Supret, but like when, or maybe, but when like cannabis retail in its, in its most unique form mm -hmm. comes to New York, does that change like hearts and minds dramatically, not only in New York, because I think that will be interesting and interesting to watch and interesting to see, but I mean like culturally in the States that it's something unique is happening in New York and that has resonance well beyond New York's borders. Absolutely. Like, that's how important New York is. I think, yes, that's, and I, I'm a New Yorker, so I will say, yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, a couple months ago, I was sitting, I went to Trailblazers and moderated a panel there, and everybody was California market. And I was like, it's funny that they, they took somebody from New York and said, hey, <laughs> talk to these California people. But, I, you know, I think that there are elements of California that also set the tone and vibe, but it's, it's very different. There's a reason why New York and L.A. have been leaders in different ways. But I think that the New York market, the New York consumer, it's pretty different. It's also pretty global in a way that it translates in a lot of different places. And you know, going back to Supret, I think that's a brand that would crush it in New York and on the West Coast as well, but in this market in particular. And it's one of probably a few styles that could really do well with the type of consumer, or not just type, the types. Mm -hmm. And again, because there's a broader appeal and there's the aspirational element, there's a playful element. Um, I think that some of the best brands that are going to be in five or 10 years don't exist yet and they will come out of New York when the market is ready and I think some yes other brands will come into the market and I think they will be fine but I don't and I know I'm going to get myself into trouble by saying this but I, I think that there are probably a very small number of brands right now that I would say are going to stand the test of time or are the ones that I'm going to point to and say like that's that's one of the top you know that's the when you put it into the Starbucks or Coke and Pepsi categories of like, what are those massive ones that everybody knows and not apples to apples, there's always the, and then the luxury yeah. side of it as well, right? When we think about the, the Gucci's and the Prada's, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if those like really, the, or even like the Supreme, yeah. you know, go into that category. I think that they're, all of those categories will exist. Like when we think about alcohol, all the different layers that exist, do I think that those top ones necessarily are here today? Can I ask you a question sure. about that, though? Because, well, it's kind of like, why? And is it because those bigger brands or bigger companies or MSOs with brands, like, is it because they're not being measured on, like, that experience necessarily they're being measured on footprint and states operate? Like, can it be footprint? Like, whatever they're being measured on, it's not about the consumer experience necessarily or even about the brand. It's about footprint and capital markets, not about, like, in this one store or these 10 stores. It's amazing. Is that is it because they're being me measured on different things? I do. I do think that there is a measurement of different things. I think cannabis as an industry hasn't had the full opportunity yet to really be as consumer focused or yeah. consumer driven as perhaps it would like to be, and that's because of all of these forces at play: capital markets, uh, footprint, need for footprint because of capital raising, mm -hmm. because we don't have, you know access to capital in the same way that other industries do and that that so that footprint expansion is necessary but also just the talent from a retail consumer lens that are from those are starting to come in they've there are plenty in the space now but it was not led by that right it's now going to be backfilled by that and adjusted by that i think and you do see a lot of people coming from really impressive brands coming into the space now, but it's not like you can just like wave a wand and it's all fixed, right? right? Or it's all changed. And, and that retail experience too, when so much of every industry has moved to online, but retail, I mean, that retail experience still matters. And especially in cannabis because of the need for education and dialogue that should be happening. Um, and, and a lot of people, just interact online and, and if you're in a market that you can, but that's not most of the market yet. Right. Um, and I think that the retail, you know, really it will matter in cannabis for a long time because 
the education side of it is still so important and, and will be important for a very, very long time. Like you don't really need to go to a liquor store and ask questions, no. you know, but when you do want to ask questions about wine, it matters, yeah. right? You want to, I want someone who can tell me the things where it's like, I want this price point or I want this taste, look, feel, whatever. You still need that from a dispensary, but like, times a billion because so many people don't really know and they're coming into the market after being out of it for a long time or they're a new consumer. Um, and I think that experiential element and going back to like a retail environment like Supret, like you just go in and it doesn't feel like it's taboo. It doesn't feel like it's overly clinical. It's it's fun. Yeah. And then you have other, I, there are other great retail environments as well, but there's some real shitty ones. Though. There's some real shitty ones. And and sh I, are you shocked when you see that? Yeah. And to some degree, it like doesn't matter for them because right, they're the just that you know, they're that's not their focus. Um, and product still sells, which I guess is why you can say there are really shitty liquor stores and really shitty convenience stores and really good ones. And it's because the product is ultimately what people are coming there for. But you, I, I like I re, I don't like to go to retail a lot. I'm I'm not a big shopper in general. But when I do, I want it to be a nice experience, right? I only want to go. Well, to, I want to go to the nice things, and yeah. I want to avoid the things that are not that nice. Um, and so there, there are different environments that will suit different audiences and different needs, and we'll have all of that. Um, I can't remember where I saw this, and it's going to bug me, but uh, or maybe it was just a conversation that somebody was talking about wanting to do a photo book of the range of dispensaries okay. across the country. Uh, and you know, Good day in the life of America type of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, that is actually a cool idea because well, if you want to fund it, I'll go do it. It's a uh, huge road trip. Yeah. Yeah, summer. Just, just get a, the problem is the states are really far apart. Yes, it is a large country. <laughs> and where, where it's legal, they're even further apart. Yes. Which is You're why, definitely going coast to coast. <laughs> which is why, which is actually uh, not unrelated to a question I want to ask, is that uh, the rapid uptick in legalization, I am attributing much of it to California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and Nevada. Like very few people on a daily basis travel state to state in those places because they're too big and too mm -hmm. far away. But nobody here on the East Coast or the Northeast, even more particularly, like nobody really wanted to be first. It's, it's a new thing and nobody can be last. And so you have this race between second and second to last to like get it done. And, and I wonder if that uh, both increases the pace in which it's about to happen here because of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, but also the they're going to get it more right than wrong because they've seen a dozen and a half states go before them. Yes and no. I think that um, you know we'll probably see it a little bit in, in New York already, right? There are probably things that we've thought, oh well, haven't can't you learn from all these other things? And and yet we're still here. But it's it's the politics of each state that really that's the entrenched system that they're working with not yeah. necessarily what's happening in, in other communities and states and you know i think what i've been proud of for new york is that they really it, it wasn't moving forward because of that social equity side of it uh there probably there's still areas of it that i think are questionable however the fact that it is going to be part of the program from the beginning but we've also seen how social equity has not done that well in other markets with the best of intentions, but probably with the not the right people around the table making right. the policy, and I think that's what we're probably at risk of too. And so we'll see how New Jersey and New York. We've already seen like fits and starts with New Jersey as well. Massachusetts has been a quirky market to navigate. I'm from there, so I, I oh yeah. <laughs> I, when I'm thinking about some of the, there were some lovely people and some bad shopping experiences. 
Yes, yes. Um, and so I think that there is a little bit of learning, and I say little, uh, but I think that there's a lot of trying to, it's again tailoring it to what do we think, that, like this is, we're different here. Right. And it's like, well, you're not that different. Like, well, you I, I, I also wonder, and I hadn't thought about this till now, is that um, when prohibition ended on alcohol, like states were actually given a lot of power and so were municipalities. And I wonder if you did them all at once and were tracking them in real time, if we would have the same conversation, like, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think that it would. And we would think New Hampshire's weird and like Utah would be weird. Like all those things would be just like. Those, just those weird states. Yeah. And it's interesting now too, because there's so much about the the alcohol market that I, I still don't know. And, you know, even just probably within the last couple of years, as I've learned more about New York's alcohol structure, um, elements of that are still what you would think are archaic, yes. you know, and I think we're, we'll see the same thing in cannabis at some point in time where it's like, wait, that's, that's what the system is or that it's this three tier system and that's all that it's going to be. And maybe that's, that's what makes sense. I don't know. Um, I think I still, I, it's an open question to me on what is the, the right, the quote unquote right structure. I don't know if there is one yet. I think the only thing I continue to fall back on is that, Social equity has to be a part of everything, whether or not it works on day one. It just has to be yeah. because that's the only can't, way we're going to get there. And you can't reverse it. You can't reverse it exactly. You can't take it away, and you just have to keep improving it mm-hmm. um, because that's the biggest thing that we continue to, as an industry, I think, overlook. Like mm-hmm. it has to be a sweeping legislation or something. So when there is federal legalization, which will happen, I just don't know when, yeah. um, that has to be a part of it in order. And it's still not going to fix everything, but it's it's got to be there. Well, this has been lovely. Well, thank you. <laughs> I want to do it. I want to keep going, but I, 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 I want to also <laughs> you respect have other your time. people to talk I, to. I do, but worse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm probably right behind you. I can't uh, wait but, to find out who's next. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but I really want to thank you for your time, for your expertise, for making yourself available. And um, I look forward to connecting with you uh, down the road. Great to see you. Thank Great. you. Thanks so much. Bye. was Tahira Rematula, recorded live in New York City on December 9th, 2021. If you like this program, please rate and review us wherever you heard the show. It helps support the work we do. We're able to do what we do because of ongoing partnerships with Alterna Savings, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmark, Can Delta, Gallagher, Headset, and Torque and Main. Find out all that we do at businessofcannabis.com. <laughs>